You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're wrapping up a series that we've been in for the past few weeks, uh, talking about the parables of Jesus. We've been looking at these stories that Jesus told almost 2,000 years ago that are amazingly relevant for our lives today. And what we've been saying is that these stories are like windows that help us see into the kingdom of God, to understand it better, to live in it. And so we're going to finish strong today. Let me start by asking you this question. Um, Have you ever been entrusted with something that you didn't own? Think about that for a moment. Uh, Let me give you an example. Anybody in here, have you ever borrowed someone's car before? Anybody know that experience, right? How did you drive it? How did you take care of that car? You were more careful with it, right, because you didn't own it. Now, I'm not talking about a rental car. If you're like me, I drive a rental car like a race car. (laughs) But if you borrow somebody's car like a friend or family member, you're probably a little bit more careful with it than you would your own car. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When I was a senior in high school, uh, my dad had a 1992 white Lincoln Town car, okay? This is the kind of car that they used to make limos out of back in the 90s, if you know what I'm talking about. So this thing, it was long and sleek. It looked like a limo. It was wide. It had an air suspension system. You couldn't even feel a bump in that car. And under the hood was an eight-cylinder engine. This thing had some pickup. And my dad was good to me. He would let me borrow it for like dances and when I had a date in my senior year of high school. And, but when I would drive that thing, I'd be so careful because it was my dad's baby. Like he loved that car. I think that was like his favorite car of all time. But you get the idea, right? There's, there's a different level of, of trust. Like you have to be careful. You have to take care of something when something uh, that you don't own has been entrusted to you. Well, today I want us to look at a parable where Jesus talked about this very thing, this idea of stewardship. Come on, everybody say stewardship. This idea of managing something that's been entrusted to us. And so we're going to look at one of the most famous parables of all time. Not only one of the most famous parables in all of Scripture, but one of the most famous parables in Western civilization. It's the parable of the talents. It's where we get this idea of talent. The parable of the talents. Now, let me give you a little context for this parable. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus teaches a series of three parables. In each one of them, they they are a a warning, essentially, an encouragement to his disciples to be mindful and, and to be watchful and prepared for his return. He was preparing his disciples, like, soon I'm going to go away. I'm going to go back to the Father, and I'm going to be entrusting you with my kingdom, with my ministry, with my, my legacy. Be watchful, be mindful with how you, how you care for it, how you live this life that I'm giving you. Last week we talked about how we use our, our time, our talent, and, and our treasure, our resources, right? It's kind of that idea. And so we're gonna look at this. Just keep that context in the back of your mind as we look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 28. We're gonna go straight through this parable. You ready? Here's what Jesus said. Again, it... It, meaning the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Keep going. Next verse, uh, verse 15. He said, to one, he gave five bags of gold. Okay, now in the original language, the New Testament was written in Greek. It's the word talent. Five bags of gold. We'll talk about what a talent means in just a moment. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. 
That's pretty good stewardship. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold bought the five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. The master replied with the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man. Listen to this. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belonged to you. And he gave him the one bag of gold back. Listen to this. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, there weren't banks as we would think of them back during this time. This actually means the money changers. There were money changers who exchanged all the different currencies in this ancient context. And the master says, you could have at least given the money, put it on deposit with the money changers and and racked up some interest for me. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hello, that is not the place you want to end up. So let's talk about this parable. Let's talk about what it means. What does this parable mean? Well, the master obviously represents God. The servants represent disciples, followers of Jesus, those who would endeavor to follow Jesus. And the master's return after a long journey represents the return of Jesus. And so uh, Jesus is telling us something here about how we should live as we await his return, okay? Now, this is not that Jesus is expecting you to do good works that are going to save you and get you into heaven. We know that we're saved by grace through faith, but Jesus expects us to have evidence for our faith. He expects us to have an evidence for a changed heart, and we're going to give an account. The point that Jesus is making is that everyone who claims to be a follower of his must prove to be faithful with what God has entrusted to you, whatever God has entrusted to you. One day, all of us are going to stand before God one day, and we're going to give an account for our lives. Whether Jesus returns in our lifetime, as the church has believed for 2,000 years, that Jesus will return one day, or the day we stand before him, Jesus is saying, you're you're going to give an account for what you did with this life, with the precious time that was entrusted to you, with the talents and abilities that God gave you, with, with your resources. And so this story is actually where we get the modern term talent. That's actually how this word has made its way into our vocabulary. Now, it's translated bags of gold in a, in a, in a uh, current translation like the NIV, 
But a talent was actually a measure of money. In fact, it was a certain amount of weight. It was equivalent to 20 years of a day laborer's wages. So a significant amount of money. This would be like millions of dollars in today's money that the owner entrusted to his servants to manage. Okay? So we could talk about the talents that God has given to us. And many of you who have grown up in church, you've heard this parable taught that way. And that's a good application. But I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want to take a little bit different approach. I want us to put a financial lens on this parable. I want us to take this idea because the talents actually do represent money quite literally in this story. But I want us to take that application and I want to talk to you about being a faithful steward of the finances that God has entrusted to you. Now, let me give you some disclaimers this morning before you start thinking, oh my gosh, just my luck. I came to church on the Sunday when the pastor's talking about money. Okay, I want, first of all, I want something for you, not from you. I, I want to be your pastor and shepherd your heart and help you be a good, faithful steward of what God has entrusted to you. Come on, how many of you would say, I want to honor God with every area of my life? All right. So I want to encourage you in that area today, okay? If you're a first-time guest, no, we are not one of these churches that preaches about money every Sunday, okay? We, we talk about uh, honoring God with our finances. We receive an offering every Sunday, but we don't preach on mon- money every Sunday. But I'm not going to make any apologies today because this is an area of discipleship that's so important for us. And so if you're here today and, and you're not even sure, you're just kind of exploring faith, I'll just tell you, you don't even have to agree with everything I'm going to say today. You get to listen in on this conversation But I do want you to know what the Bible has to say and what Christians believe about being good financial stewards. So I want to give you four principles that we learn from this parable about being a faithful financial steward. And I want to invite you to take some notes. Open up the Redemption app. There's a spot in there where you can take notes every week. If you don't have that, get that from our website. Four principles uh, for this, this concept of being a faithful financial steward. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Number one, all our money belongs to God. Amen, somebody. (laughs) Everything we have, everything that's been entrusted to us actually belongs to God, and that includes our money. In the parable, the master who leaves his money to his servants represents God, right? And it's very clear that the money that he gives them does not belong to the servants. They're simply managers. They're called to steward it well. He entrusts something to them that does not belong to to them. It's it's very clear. So this is the first and foremost important principle that we have to get as as Christians when it comes to being good financial stewards. Until you acknowledge God's ownership over everything you have, you'll struggle to put the other principles, and the Word of God is filled with them, the other principles when it comes to managing money, you'll struggle to put those in to practice. It's hard to embrace those principles if we don't get this foundational idea that everything we have is actually on loan to us from God. It's a gift from God. Remember, Jesus told these parables to teach us what life and the kingdom of God looks like. You do remember this, right? The kingdom of God is like, fill in the blank. At the center of any kingdom is a king who rules and reigns. How many of you know that we're living in his kingdom, okay? The problem is we want to be the king and queen of our little world, but Jesus says, let me show you what life looks like in the kingdom of God where he rules and he reigns, and you're called to be a servant and a follower and a disciple in that kingdom. All right, so let me give you an illustration here, okay? And this will go over pretty easy in this room because we're New Yorkers. How many of you have either, you're either paying rent right now or you've paid rent at some point in time in your life? That's like almost all of us, right? 
I think we can identify with this, okay? Before I owned my house that I, where I live in Hawthorne, I used to live in Harrison, not too far from here, and we lived in a, uh, in a house. There was an upstairs, downstairs apartment, and every month, you know, a few days before the first of the month, I wrote out my rent check, right, and I sent it to make sure that it got to my landlord on time, right? I wanted to get it to him to acknowledge his ownership. Now, here's what I noticed in those years that I rented that apartment in Harrison. My landlord never sent me a thank you note to thank me for my rent. <laughs> my landlord never sent me a $50 Amazon gift card and said, thank you for your faithfulness in sending your rent. Why? Because he owned the place. When I, when I wrote that rent check out every month, I was acknowledging his ownership, right? I couldn't just do whatever I wanted with that house. I couldn't say, well, hey, Amy, why don't we knock out a wall and let's expand this room and let's change things up a little bit. No, 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 no. Because I didn't own the place. I wrote that rent check out every month to acknowledge his ownership. Now I own my own house and I get to fix everything that breaks and repair everything in my house that needs repairing. Oh, the joys of home ownership. But you get the idea, right? So here is the idea. Uh, being a good steward starts with acknowledging God's ownership, just like you would pay the rent. It starts with acknowledging God's ownership. And so what I have has actually been entrusted to me by God. It's been given to me by God. I'm just a manager. I'm just a steward. He's the owner. In fact, he's not only the owner, he's better than that. He's the provider. He's the provider. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now, lest we amen too quickly. I know that some of you are thinking, but Pastor Jimmy, I worked, far, I worked hard for everything I have, right? Like everything I, I have, like uh, it's, it's, I've earned that money. I worked hard for it. I'm not trying to diminish your hard work. I understand that. But let me show you a scripture that puts things into perspective from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And just to set this up for you, um, as God, is, God gives the people this, this word, as he's bringing them into the promised land, the children of Israel. As he's bringing them into the promised land, he gives them this reminder in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, and then 17 through 18. Here's what he says. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You see, God knew that the children of Israel could actually forget all that he had done for them, all he had provided for them, all of the miracles. Have you ever read the Exodus story? God led the people in a cloud by day and fire by night. Hello, they marched around the walls of Jericho and God brought the walls in. Like he did miracles to bring them into the promised land. Not to mention that he rained down like manna, literally bread from heaven to, to feed them. He's like, don't, don't, don't forget all that I've done for you to bring you into the promised land. Like, don't go forgetting the Lord your God as you're living in the land of abundance. Don't go get cocky and start thinking that you did all this. Remember all that I've done for you. And here's the point, church. We're not as self-made as we think we are. We're not as self-made as we think we are. In our pride, it's so, it's, so, it's so easy for us to get impressed with our resume and all the things that we've racked up and all that we've accumulated and be so, so proud of, of our accomplishments. But just remember, just as God said in here, it's the Lord your God who gave you the ability to produce wealth. It's God who gave you that ability. It's God who gave you the physical health that you have so that you can function and have a job. It's God who gave many of you parents who invested in you to give you opportunity. It's God who gave you that education. It's God who gave you those connections. It's God who gave you the intellectual capacity and the opportunities to produce wealth. And I think God would remind us you're not as self-made as you think you are. If you look around and you review your life's history, there's been open doors and connections and so many things I gave you. Not to mention that you live in this nation that has an economy that you can participate in. 
that you can participate in and even produce wealth because some people in other parts of the world don't have those opportunities. Many of you moved from all over the world to be here. It's New York. People came from all over the world to be here to make a life for themselves. And so you're either becoming more convinced that everything you have is, is from God or you're becoming more convinced that everything you have is because of you and, and for you. So number one, the, principle, the first principle is we have to acknowledge that everything that we have is from God. It's just on loan to us. We're just called to be faithful stewards. Here's number two. Here's the second principle. We're talking about some principles for being good financial stewards. Number two, God entrusts different amounts of money to each of us, and that's okay. That's okay. We need to be okay with that. God entrusts different amounts of money. How many of you have noticed that God entrusts different amounts of money to different people? And that's okay. Look at verse 15. <laughs> Here's what it says. To one, to one of the servants, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag or one talent, each according to his, read this out loud with me, ability. Each according to his ability. See, in the parable, the servants receive different amounts. One got five bags, one got two bags, one got one bag, right? Each according to their ability. They didn't all have the same level of talent. They didn't all have the same level of intellect. They didn't all have the same level of entrepreneurship and business aptitude. Each of them had a different ability. Now, side note for a moment here. This parable does not speak to or address uh, income disparity or economic injustice. There's plenty in the scripture about that. Read all throughout the Old Testament. Read the words of Jesus. There's much that the Bible has to say about that, but that is not the point of this parable when we think about different people having different amounts. The emphasis here, the, the point that Jesus is making is, is that different servants are entrusted with different amounts, different amounts of money. Now, the reality of life is that uh, we're entrusted with different amounts of money due to the circumstances of our lives, due to opportunities, uh, maybe even due to the circumstances we are born into, uh, to the talents that we have, to our ability to make money. Some of us have more of the ability than others. And here's the point. You're responsible for your bags of gold, not anybody else's. You're responsible for your talents. You're responsible for what God has entrusted to you, not anybody else's. You're responsible for the resources that he's given to you. And I think one of the greatest obstacles that stands in our way when it comes to being faithful stewards, when it comes to honoring God with our finances, is that we fall into the comparison trap. We, we get so focused on what other people have that we don't have. We get so focused on comparing ourselves to others. In fact, I want to give you two lies that result from comparison. And there are plenty of lies that result from comparison. For the sake of time, I want to just give you two today, okay? Two lies that result from comparisons. Number one, here's, here's the first one, lie number one. If I had more things and experiences like them, <laughs> like them, like my friends, like that person, like that, my neighbor, like the people I follow on social media, if I had more things and experiences like them, I would be happy. I would be happy. I'd be more satisfied if I had more. See, what happens is we see what other people have, and then all of a sudden what we have seems inadequate. Now, I've used this analogy before, but I think most of us can relate to this. You ever had this happen? You go on vacation with your family, and you're excited, and you have an amazing time, and you take pictures, and if you have kids, you take your kids with you, and you have an awesome time, and you get home, and you, you can't wait to share on social media the beautiful time you got. You kind of want some people to see the, the tan that you got, too. You're looking kind of good. You came back. You're refurbished. You're looking refreshed. You're looking pretty good, and you go to post your pictures on Instagram or Facebook, and what do you see? You see your friend's vacation that was better than 
than yours. They went to a better destination than you. They stayed in a nicer hotel than you. They flew first class. They got a better tan than you. And all of a sudden, what happens? All of a sudden now, as you compare your vacation to their vacation, your vacation sucks. (laughs) This is what happens, right? We're laughing, but this is human nature. We compare what we have to what someone else has, and then all of a sudden what we have is inadequate. Let me just tell you something. You might want their highlights, but you don't want their problems. What I've learned in, in, in looking at other people's flashy purchases and all the wonderful things they got going on on social media, here's what I've learned. I, I, their highlights might look nice, but I don't want the debt that they have. I, 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 don't want, I don't want to have the consumer debt they have on their credit cards. I want to be able to sleep sound at night knowing that I can pay my mortgage and pay the light bills and pay for the necessities of life. I don't necessarily want their problems, and neither do you. But it's been said that comparison is the thief of joy. It'll steal your joy. And this is what happens. We begin to think, if I had what they had, then I would, I would be, I'd be happy. And so let me just help you today. If comparison is stealing your joy, and we got just a little bit of that going on around here in the suburbs of New York City. Anybody notice? We got just a little bit of that comparison stuff happening around here in Westchester in Connecticut. I don't know if y'all live where I live, but I've noticed we got a little bit of that. If comparison is stealing your joy, then begin to practice gratitude. Because gratitude will change your perspective. And I've taught you this before, but I really practice this. There are some days that I get up and I begin to thank God for the things that I usually take for granted. God, I thank you that I slept in a warm bed last night. God, I thank you that I have a roof over my head. God, I thank you for my wife and my children. God, I thank you for this cup of coffee. Can I get an amen, somebody? God, I thank you for this clean water. God, I thank you that I went to the refrigerator. I'm not foraging for food today. And what will happen is gratitude will begin to transform everything in your life into a gift. You'll begin to see things that you took for granted as a gift. It'll change your perspective. It'll change your perspective. Here's line number two, okay? Results of comparison. Line number two, if I had more money like them, I would be more generous. I think we've thought that at times, you know? You see the kind of car somebody else pulls up to, you know, at church. Oh, if I had a car like that, I'd be able to give more in the offering. I'd finally start giving. And I think we can all agree that generosity is a good thing. Can we all agree that generosity is a good thing? Come on, how many of you want to be more generous? Anybody with me, you want to be more generous? All right, we're going to pray for the rest of you. Anybody in here want to be less generous? <laughs> Let's have an honest moment in church. Anybody here want to be less generous? <laughs> I've never had anybody come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling so generous lately. I want to give everything I have away to the poor. I'm thinking about reverse tithing. I'm thinking about giving 90% and trying to figure out how to live on 10%. Pray for me. I don't know what to do. I have never had that happen before. No, I think we have to work hard to want to be more generous, right? We have to work in our hearts to want to be more generous. Here's the idea. If you want to become more generous, steward what you have, not what you don't have. Boy, if this parable teaches us anything, steward what you have, not what you don't have. Did you notice when we read the story, when we read the scripture, we got to the second servant, right? He got two bags of gold. I didn't notice him saying, hey, Jesus, what's up? You, you know, hey, to, to the master, hey, you gave the other guy five bags of gold, but I only got two bags of gold. What's up with that? I didn't hear him say that. No, he just took his two bags of gold and he stewarded them well. He managed them well and he doubled them and he got a good increase. He was a faithful servant. And so I think so many times, so many Christians, we hear this week in and week out and we think, well, I'll be generous at some point in time if my finances were better. If I had money like them, I would would be more generous. No, 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 no. We've all been given different amounts to manage. Steward well what you have now. What do you have in your hand now? Steward that well. Steward that well. 
Let's accept that we've been given different amounts to steward, and let's be resolved to be faithful stewards of whatever God has given us. Start with what you have now. Is this helping anybody today? All right, number three, I want this to be life-giving. Number three, we're talking about some principles to help us be good financial stewards, because we're going to give an account one day. Number three, God wants us to manage our money effectively, effectively. Come on, everybody say effectively. He wants us to manage our money effectively. See, one of the things that we learn from this parable is that God entrusts everyone. Uh, he, he gives all of us a certain amount of responsibility of, of doing our best with the money, with the resources that he's entrusted to us, and he's going to expect us to give an account one day. It's a powerful parable. Like there's going to be a day where we give an account for what God entrusted to us. He wants us to make the most of what he's given to us. And so if we're going to honor God with our finances, I think, first of all, we have to get the motivation right. We have to get the motivation right. See, how the servants handled their money, how they stewarded the money that was entrusted to them, it revealed a lot about the condition of their heart and their attitude toward the master. Did you notice did you notice what the third servant said, the wicked servant? Let's look at this again in verses 24 and 25. Notice what he said. He said, then the man who had received one bag of gold came, look at this. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Look at verse 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Notice the third slave's attitude toward his master. He saw him as a hard man, not a generous man. He didn't believe that the master wanted what was best for him. He didn't feel honored to be entrusted with the one talent, the one bag of gold he was given. In fact, he related to his master out of fear, out of fear. Maybe deep down on the inside, he hoped his master would never come back from that long journey. Let me just go ahead and stash this bag of gold away in the dirt, in the soil. And if he doesn't show back up, I know exactly where I buried it. And if he does show up, well, plan B, I'll just give it back to him. Do you see it? See how his attitude affected his stewardship? His attitude toward the master is what caused him to be lazy and ineffective and a bad steward. And so this is why generosity and financial steward is such a common theme all throughout the scriptures. I mean, Jesus talked a whole lot about money. Have you read the words of Jesus? He talked about this area of life. He said that you can't serve both God and money. He said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He said where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He understood that, that how we handle money, it reveals our attitude toward God. Do we really believe that God is a good God? Do we have the taskmaster view of God or do we have the loving heavenly father view of God? Do we really believe that God will, will bless us and reward us? Do we really believe that God is our provider? Do we really believe that one day we are going to stand before him and the temporary trade-off, the temporary sacrifices that we make in this life are going to be worth the eternal reward? Do we believe those things? And Jesus is telling us in this parable that the way we, one of the ways th that we reveal that truth, how, that one of the things that reveals our hearts is the way we manage the resources that God has given to us. And so Jesus tells us that God expects his servants to be faithful. And one of the most important things that reveals whether or not we're faithful is the way we handle the things that God has entrusted to us, including our resources and our finances. Now, let me give you some really practical applications because we're talking about this point of managing money effectively. And I know some of you in here may be very financially savvy people, and this is going to feel like reviewing the basics, but how many of you know the basics are the basics for a reason? How many of you know, I'm going to read some things to you, I'm going to say some things to you that you've heard before, but how many of you know that often we need to hear the things that we've heard before once again? 
And so I'm going to just go through just some basic things, basic practical applications that we need to be thinking about. And maybe you're doing good in some of these areas, but maybe not doing good in one of them. I don't know. So first things first, educate yourself. Educate yourself about money and get help. Let me just tell you something. There's nothing embarrassing to admit that you need more financial literacy. I wish they were teaching more of this in school these days, really. I mean, I see some of the homework my son comes home with, my high schooler. You know, he's doing like slope and math. Like, I don't know when he's going to walk around with a graphing calculator in life one day and say, let me just get this out. Let me slope this real quick. Let me Y equals MX times B. I don't know when he's going to use that. But I wish they would teach him some basic things about like, you know, investing and and saving, those kind of things. And so if you haven't gotten those things, don't feel stupid to to reach out and get a mentor or start getting some books or some blogs or or, or get a financial advisor, especially if you're a young person just starting out in your career or maybe you're fresh out of college. There are some seasoned, mature people in this place who will tell you they wish they had sought out a financial advisor when they were your age. If they could get in a time machine and go back and talk to themselves in their 20s, they would tell you, listen to Pastor Jeremy right now. Can I get an amen seasoned and matured people? Start learning, start growing in this area of finances, the basics, okay? Here's another one that'll help you out. Just basic, good old things we need to hear again. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Make a budget and cut expenses. If you're spending more more than you make, then make a budget so you can track where your money is going. Pay off those high-interest credit cards, especially as we're living in this season of inflation right now. You want to be able to breathe. You want some margin. You want some space, okay? So get out of debt. Do some debt stacking. Pay something off and then take that amount and stack it up and start paying the next thing off, okay? Here's another idea. Start saving. Start saving. Start with an emergency fund, so that you don't go back into debt every time you have an emergency. That's why it's called an emergency fund. An emergency fund. Start saving. If, you are, are, uh, if you're working at a company that does matching funds, has a retirement fund, and you're not taking advantage of that, you are leaving free money on the table, you need to go into HR tomorrow morning and get signed up for that retirement plan. This stuff matters, okay? You're not getting any younger. I'm just telling you. You look good, but you're not getting any younger. Start saving. Is this helping anybody? These are the basics. We need to hear this stuff. Okay, here's another one. Start practicing generosity. Start practicing generosity. This is all throughout the scripture. This is one of the biblical standards of good stewardship. If I couldn't give you anything else when it comes to managing your money effectively, all throughout scripture, we're reminded over and over again that we're called to be generous people. What do we do? How do we do that? Well, I believe the first thing we're called to give in the local church, okay? Uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the storehouse of God. In the Old Testament, that was the temple. In the New Testament, that is the local church, the church of Jesus Christ. And so let me encourage you set a percentage, start somewhere. I think so many Christians, once again, they, they, they're so focused on what they don't have, they steward what they don't have. Steward what you have, set a goal, set a percentage, and then review it every year and pray that God would build your faith and make you more, make you more generous. I'm gonna tell you something, I believe this. Amy and I have practiced this our whole adult lives. We give, we give more than 10%. We give more than 10% every year on a pastor's salary, and I wanna tell you, it's our joy to give. We have never missed a beat. We have never been late on a bill. God is faithful, and I tell my kids all the time, we are walking around and living in the blessing of God, and I wanna tell you something, it makes me wanna do more. It makes me wanna give more. I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. I have lived this my whole adult life, and I want this for you. I want you to know the blessing of God. Let me just tell you something. God, God didn't, how many of you know God didn't invent giving for himself? Newsflash, he's God. He owns everything. Why do you think he came up with this whole idea of generosity and giving? He did it for us. 
so we would learn to trust him so that our hearts would be set free from the love of money and materialism. I want to tell you something. When you begin to give even a small amount, watch how it stretches your faith. Watch how, there's some people in here who have learned this, and they can say amen. Watch how it increases your dependence on him. Watch how it transforms your view of what you have, that it truly is a gift from God because I'm stewarding a part of it and giving it back to you, God. I'm acknowledging your ownership. I'm paying rent on my life back to you, God. I'm acknowledging that you are the landlord of my life, but you're better than that. You're a good, loving, and gracious God. Watch how it changes your heart. And let me just tell you something else so you can feel really good, okay? Because we do ask you to give to your local house. Here's something beautiful. At our church, we have a commitment to to paying forward 10% of our general tithes and offerings. So that means for every $10 you put in the offering here, we take a dollar of that and we give it to some amazing missions, organizations, and initiatives. So every time you give, every $10 you put in the offering, a dollar goes to impact some amazing things like you get to help feed people who are struggling with food insecurity here in Port Chester through our partnership with Caritas. You get to help children. Uh, We give to the Unsponsored Children's Fund for an organization that we work with down in Honduras called One Child, and you're helping resource those kids and help release them from poverty. Um, you're You're helping Ukrainian refugees right now whose lives have been turned upside down through our partnership with Convoy of Hope, who's over there feeding people right now, clothing people right now. In fact, every time you hear a natural disaster on the news and you think to yourself, man, I wish I could do something about that, guess what? When you give here, you're doing something about that because Convoy of Hope has boots on the ground everywhere all throughout the world. You're helping get the Word of God into the hands of children through our partnership with with One Hope that puts the Word of God into the hands of children all around the world. You're helping planting life-giving churches all throughout this nation and throughout this world through our partnership with ARC. Do you see it? Come on, we're not just paying the bills. We're not just paying our staff. We're not just keeping the lights on. We are making an impact for the kingdom of God. I don't know about you. I want to be a part of that. That makes me want to give more. God, I want to be used more by you. And so the thrust of this parable is that that we're going to stand before God one day and give an account for how we've managed what he's entrusted to us. And here's point number four. Number four is faithfulness leads to greater responsibility and reward. Faithfulness leads to greater responsibility and reward. Notice how the master gives the same response to the two faithful servants. Look at this, verse 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You see, faithfulness leads to greater responsibility and reward. All right, parents, let me give you this analogy. I think all the parents will track with me. As your kids get older, have you noticed that you're able to entrust them with more responsibility? Hopefully, that's the way it's supposed to work, right? My oldest son, Aaron, he has a few more responsibilities. He helps with taking out the trash and and cutting the grass and watering the lawn. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I had boys for a reason, and I'm finally getting something back, a return on my investment. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Been feeding and clothing these kids my whole life. All right, so he helps out, right? But he also gets some more rewards, right? He gets to stay up later than his younger brothers. He gets to go do activities and hang out with his friends. You, You get the picture, right? He's, he's given more. He's, he's, he's rewarded for, for his faithfulness. And so here's the idea. I think many people would say, um, I want more. How many of you could, say, could pray that prayer? God, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to be entrusted with more finances. Anybody else? Anybody here would say, Lord, I'd like to be entrusted with more as I'm living in the highest tax county in the United States of America. God, if you're looking for somebody to bless, I'm your boy. I'm your girl. I'm right over here. Why don't you send some blessing this way? <laughs> 
How many? Y'all can pray like that, right? I think most of us can pray that way. God, I'd like to be entrusted with more. I could use a new job. I could use a raise. I could use more finances. Okay, so what if God says, all right, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you more. And what if God gives you more, but all you end up doing is spending more, becoming more materialistic, making bad decisions, getting into debt, spending more than what you have? What if you don't become more generous as he raises your standard of living? You don't raise your standard of giving. Do you think God can trust you with more? That's the question. What if God says, okay, what if I was, I was going to bless you with more? See, here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Why don't you start with the little that you have right now? It's, it, it's, it's how you steward what you have right now, the little, that shows whether or not you can be trusted with, with much. And so based on how you're handling what God has entrusted to you right now, can God trust you with more? And so that changes our prayer. Not just God, give me more, but God, make me the kind of faithful steward, faithful servant that you can entrust with more. Do you see the difference? Do do you see it? Now, I'm not saying you can't enjoy what God has given to you. I'm not saying you can't have some nice things or go on some nice vacations. I'm talking about have you stewarded it well so that you can truly enjoy those other things. I enjoy some nice things, but I enjoy them guilt-free because I know that I've given back to God's kingdom. I've given back to his kingdom with my life and with, with my finances. And so I believe God wants to be able to trust all of us with more. I really do. I believe God wants to entrust all of us, not just so that we get richer. No, because I believe we're blessed to be a blessing as the people of God. I think God says, if there's anybody in this planet that I want to bless, it's my children, if they'll learn my principles, because I want them to be my hands and feet in this world. I want to use them to bless the poor. I want to use them to reach people with the message of the kingdom of God. I want to use them to expand my kingdom in this world. Who does does God want to bless if it's not us? But I believe it's because we're blessed to be a blessing. And so I, got, I believe God wants, wants to entrust us with more. Now, here's the good news. If you haven't been a good financial steward, it's not too late. If you're doing good in a few of those areas but not doing so good in other areas, it's not too late. If you've gotten yourself into debt, if you've made some bad decisions, if there's been some things beyond your control, it's not too late to start now. The good news is he's a redemptive God. We named the church redemption for a reason. He's a redemptive God. He'll help you. How many of you have ever seen this on investment literature before? Maybe you opened new, a new account somewhere, a new investing account, and you read this disclosure. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. You ever read that before? Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. What does that mean? That means we've had some luck in the past investing people's money, and we've gotten a good return, but our lawyers are making us put this disclaimer in here because we could lose your money. Because past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Well, guess what? In God's redemptive plan, the same thing can be true for you. Come on. Past performance does not have to be a guarantee of future results. He can help you do better. He can give you wisdom. He can help you get out of debt. He can help you become generous. He can help you become healthy. Your kids can have a better future than you had. You can start over. He's a redemptive God. He'll give you wisdom in this area. So let me remind you, Jesus is making a larger point with this parable, with this story. It's about being prepared for his return. See, if you don't really believe 
that the master is going to return from the journey. If you don't really believe that one day Jesus will return, quick theology lesson, for 2,000 years, the church has believed that Jesus Christ will return one day to this planet, that he will finish what he started. He will fully establish his kingdom. He will fully right every wrong. The scripture says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There's not going to be any more sickness, not going to be any more pain, no more death. Behold, I make all things new. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. He's coming back to finish what he started. The king is going to come back and fully establish his kingdom. The church has held on to that belief for 2,000 years. But if you don't believe that, or if you don't believe that one day you will stand before him, if he doesn't come back in your lifetime, then you'll be tempted to believe that you are the owner, that you're the owner. But if you really believe what we as Christians profess to believe, then you will recognize that he is the king, and I'm living life in his kingdom. He is the owner, and I'm just a manager and a steward to be faithful until the day he returns. And I hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we're after. That's the key here to understanding this parable, that we're going to stand before him and give an account one day. And so let me help you. We got to get our focus off of the here and now, and we got to get the long view. We got to get the long view, right? We got to start. We got to start living for the long view because it's so easy for us to get focused on the here and, and now that we miss the bigger picture. Let me give you an example. Some of you who got a graduate degree, you took the long view. Come on, you stayed up late working on papers, reading books, working hard for that degree, right? Because you had the long view of the day you were going to walk across that stage and get that graduate degree. Some of you, like you worked hard for that promotion at work. Come on, you busted your butt. When other people were taking it easy, you were working overtime. You were showing up. You were putting in the sweat equity, but it was worth it. You had the long view because you knew you were going to get that promotion. Come on, I wonder if we have any ladies in here. You've ever been a bride before. You don't really like dieting. You don't really like, you know, being picky about what you eat, but you wanted to look good in that wedding dress. You had the long view, right? I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to skip some extra portions because I got to look good on that day. Or if you haven't been a bride, just substitute your bathing suit for this summer, okay? The long view, living with the long view in mind. Here's what we have to believe. God, whatever sacrifices I have to make to dethrone myself in this temporary life and put you on the throne of my life, God, it's worth it because the long I'm living with a long view in mind because one day I'm going to stand before you and I believe that you're going to bless me. I believe that you're going to reward me because I want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so our prayers, God, make us faithful. Make us faithful. Make us faithful servants. Come on, why don't you stand with me this morning? I've already preached too long. We're going to pray. The worship team's coming back in just a moment. But here's our prayer. God, we want to be faithful stewards in your kingdom. Faithful servants in your kingdom. Faithful with what you've entrusted to us. Make us the kind of servants that you can entrust with more. God, don't just give us more. Make us the kind of people that you can entrust with more. Come on, how many of you want that today? Would you just bow your heads? Maybe you want to lift your hands. For those of you who aren't used to that, it's just a sign of surrender. It's just a sign. I think that would be appropriate today. God, everything I have is from you. Everything I have is for you. You're the owner. You're the king. I'm just a manager. I'm just a servant. Come on, maybe just bow your heads and lift your hands today. God, we recognize that everything we have is from you. It's all a gift from you. You've just entrusted it to us. And God, we're asking you today to help us to be good stewards to help us to be good servants. God, give us wisdom where we need wisdom. God, give us discipline where we need discipline. God, give us strategy where we need a strategy to get out of debt and to invest and to save and to get healthy financially. God, we don't want to live stressed out all the time. God, we don't want to live losing sleep all the time about the finances. We want to live with margin and peace. 
We want to honor you, God. God, we want to be generous. We recognize that we're blessed to be a blessing. Jesus, you said we're more blessed when we give than when we receive. God, help us to be delivered from the lie of our culture that tells us the more stuff we have, the happier we're going to be. No, God, we're blessed to be a blessing, to give back, to advance your kingdom. And so, Father, we pray, make us faithful servants. Come on, somebody personalize that. God, make me a faithful servant in your kingdom that we might hear the words one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.